Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the podcast that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. I'm your host, Rob Weatherly. I'd like to thank everybody for joining me again. Uh, This is part two in the Clownfish series. Uh, Just a reminder to everybody who hasn't heard it, episode 100 is part one in the Clownfish series. So if you're new to Clownfish or you want to catch up on that, make sure you go download that episode and uh, and then you can move on to this one. In this episode, we're going to be talking about breeding in general or more specifically preparing for breeding. We're going to talk about the broodstock tank and setting it up, feeding your pair, uh, acquiring your pair. We're going to go through some general uh, really answers to common questions about behavior, uh, the behavior of clownfish as they go through the mating of the breeding or pairing process. We're going to wrap up the show this week with some tips on uh, inducing spawning because that's one of the common problems that people have. So we got some tips there for you. And then we're going to uh, move on uh, from there. So as I mentioned, to start off this week, we're going to start with the broodstock tank or the spawning tank. Now, this is the tank that's going to be housing the clownfish. This is going to be their home. You really want to, um, again, make sure you check out uh, part one, uh, this episode of Hunter, because I, I talk about a lot more stuff in there. Uh, in this show, we're going to be specific to uh, a, a broodstock tank for breeding. Now, you really want to sit down and pay, pay a little bit of attention to what you're going to be doing when you acquire your clownfish or before you acquire them, when you're setting this tank up. What is your objective? Are you going to be getting a pair of clownfish and your main objective with them is just to breed them? If so, your tank is going to be a lot less elaborate. It's going to be really basic. Uh, if you're If you're getting them with the intent of hopefully breeding them, but that's not really the main point, you really want to have more of a mixed tank, uh, then that's going to change the setup and you're going to have more of an elaborate tank. Now, the first part, uh, I did talk about lighting previously uh, in the the last show, but more specifically here, certain lighting is, uh, specific lighting is not really needed for just the clownfish. As I mentioned last time, they don't really care as long as there's something. Now, when it comes to actually breeding, it is very important to have a consistent photo period. So while you can have regular lights or really fancy lights, really bright lights, whatever, it's not really what's important. What's important for uh, a broodstock tank is that the photo period is very consistent. The lights need to come on and off at the exact same time. This is important for the clownfish to initiate their spawning when they do. And it's also important once they do start spawning to initiate the or get the eggs to start hatching. A lot of them do this based upon the specific photo periods. So make sure that you get your light set up on a timer. That's very important. Regarding the overall setup of the tank, as I've kind of talked about a little bit already, they can be basic or they can be elaborate. The clowns really don't care. Um, You can have a reef tank or a fish-only tank. The important thing that I want to mention here is about co-inhabitants. You do not want to have anything in your tank that is going to be threatening in any way, shape, or form to your clownfish if your intention is for breeding. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that you can't do it, uh, but here's what happens. When you have a pair of clownfish that are going through the process and they're ready to start spawning, if they feel threatened because there's a damsel or other aggressive fish floating around in there, 
uh, there's a good chance that they will not start spawning or that if they are spawning, they may stop. So it is important to, to keep that in mind. Now, very commonly, if the intention is to get breeding and get spawning as quickly as possible, you'll not have any other fish in there. So you'll set up a small tank with no other fish. Your cleanup crew can pretty much be anything you want, a series of snails, small crabs, um, and uh, various types of shrimp are fine. Uh, I have not seen any real problems with uh, with various types of shrimp in there either. But uh, if you do have uh, a, you know, a tank and you want to put other fish in there, just make sure that they're very, very uh, passive fish, non-aggressive fish. Um, but again, if you're, you know, a lot of people will just leave it with just the clownfish. So keep that in mind regarding other inhabitants. The next thing that comes up quite often when people are setting these tanks up is the, the question of, do I add an anemone or not? Now, I've talked about anemones a lot on the past shows. I talked about it in uh, the specific anemone show that we did, and I talked about them last week. So make sure that you check out uh, that show uh, last week for, for some of the basic details there. And some time ago, I did a, a full podcast on anemones, and that was episode 40, I believe. So make sure you check out that for more details on anemones. Now, anemone care aside, well, I guess this we're going to talk about anemone care. One of the, the most important things is, is anemones are a lot more work. They require the, the conditions of a full reef tank. They're going to require rocks or sub, a substrate of some type to attach to, which you may or may not have depending on your setup. They're going to require specific lighting that, and expensive lighting that you may or may not have if you're going with a basic setup. They're going to require additional feeding, uh, and care. So this is all important stuff to keep in mind if you are considering an anemone. Anemones are absolutely not required by any means. You know, there's no reason that you need it if your intentions are for spawning. Now, if you want to get one, that's totally fine. They make a beautiful addition to your tank. Just make sure you understand what you're getting into. Uh, that's, you know, the common rule that I have every time I talk about this. So, all right, I think that horse is dead. Uh, make sure you know what you're doing before you do it. Uh, moving on a little bit. Uh, one of the last components that you really want to pay attention to when you're dealing with the broodstock tank is a spawning surface. When you have, oh, and one more thing about anemones, uh, and this is kind of where the, it ties into the spawning surface. Um, what you'll usually do is you'll, you'll dedicate a certain type of substrate for your spawning. A lot of times this is, this is a tile. Um, what, what it's commonly used is a, a regular ceramic floor tile and you'll present it to the clownfish with the bottom of the tile facing up, not the smooth side, but the rough side facing up. And they tend to really, really like that as a spawning surface. Uh, we'll talk about that more in a second. But one of the problems with anemones is what, what you have to do is the clownfish will more or less house themselves, you know, make the anemone them, their home. Now, in a broodstock tank, there's conditions are usually not perfect because you have to feed the heck out of them. Uh, and it can cause some some water condition problems. Anemones don't necessarily like this. This is usually a problem in smaller tanks. Um, but the point that I'm trying to get here is, is a lot of times it can cause your anemone to move. Uh, so what will happen is you'll have your clownfish. They'll be you know housed in this nice little spot. You'll get your spawning surface, the tile in its place. The anemone's going to get up and move. They've majorly disrupted the, the clownfish's cycle. And they're going to stop spawning for a while until they get resituated. And then you've got to move your tile and hope that the anemone moved to a spot where you can actually put the tile. So these are some important things to keep in mind, again, with the anemone. Now, back to the, the tile. 
what you want to look for is a two inch, a two inch squared or a four inch squared ceramic tile. That's usually the best surface that you can use. You can also use pieces of clay pots. Uh, those work quite well also. The idea here is to have something that can be not flat, but relatively flat. It can be flat, that's fine, but it doesn't have to be. Um, you want a, a flat, uh, not flat, a smooth surface, um, not glossy like the, like the, the top of a, a ceramic tile, um, but something that they can lay on there, lay their eggs on there that isn't all jagged and everything. That's where these ceramic tiles make, uh, they're really good for this because uh, the coralline and the algae and stuff will attach very quickly to these tiles and uh, they'll make, they make very good, uh, very good uh, spawning substrates. Now, one little tip for your spawning substrate, especially if you are using ceramic tiles of some kind, is make sure you have a few of them. Uh, what you want to do is, is have one in its position where it's, the goal is for the, the clownfish to spawn on that tile. You want to introduce this tile early, as early as possible before they start spawning. Otherwise, they might pick another place. And if they once they pick their place, uh, it, it's very difficult to get them to change their mind. So uh, introduce a tile as soon as possible. Now, once a tile's in there, like I said, you want to have a couple of them. Uh, and what I usually do is just throw one or two in the tank somewhere else. Now, what this does is it allows the coralline and the various types of algae to start growing on there. And... Uh, it makes it look like the other one. And I don't have any evidence to really show that they can identify it by the, the looks of it. But uh, what happens is when you have to take the tile out of there when, they're, when they start spawning, you, basically what it leaves you with is another one that's right there, ready to go in its spot when you take the other one out. So uh, at no time you have a, the tank with no tile in it. You know, Again, I, I don't really know how critical this is, but it's a, something that's very easy to do. Because uh, that tile can be out of your tank for a day or two while you know during the time when you're you're hatching the the clownfish eggs out in your in your grow out tank. So uh, again, the spawning surface ceramic tiles work great, clay pots stuff like that. So uh, moving on from there, this is something that's not really specific to the broodstock tank itself, uh, but more on the care of the clownfish. And this is specific to breeding, or more specific to breeding, and why I didn't cover it in the introduction show as much. This is about feeding. Feeding a breeding pair of clownfish is very important. It's probably one of the most, the single most important things in getting a success, successful clutch of eggs. You want to make sure that you're feeding them a varied diet, a healthy diet, and you're feeding them often. The the more often you feed them, the more likely you're going to get, uh, you know, get them to start spawning. We'll talk about that later. Um, but uh, like what I was mentioning uh, about nutrition is very important because you know uh, healthy clown parents are going to lead to healthy eggs. There's a lot of problems that can come from uh, malnutrition in the parents. You can have eggs that don't hatch, eggs that hatch too early, larvae that die before they hatch. Um, there's there's various different types of things. And for for more details on that, again, I'm going to refer back to Joyce Wilkerson's book on clownfish. Uh, it's called The Clownfishes, uh, where she goes into this into a lot of detail. More detail that I'm going to get into here, but what I want to mention here is to start off with a good base uh, base food source, and for me this is Formula One flake food that is then soaked in uh, garlic extract, a little Kent garlic extreme, uh, and then on top of that uh, it's soaked into uh, the Celcon, which is a, uh, it's got omega-3, lots of fatty acids, and uh, it's a... Uh, um, I can't remember the, the word for it, but it's a it's a nutrient booster basically. 
Uh, and this this helps uh, increase the nutrient levels in the food. And that's where I start with my base. And then you can go on and adding uh, Cyclops E's, uh, Nopoli, baby brine shrimp, and uh, various other, mycid shrimp, and various other things that are really good, uh, really healthy. Uh, some of the other things that you might want to throw in there, at least that I throw in there, is fresh table shrimp, uh, raw table shrimp. And, you know, I've talked about that multiple times on the show. It's good to have around. Uh, and small amounts of table shrimp can actually help with the, the egg casings so that you have good, strong egg, uh, egg casings. Too much of the table shrimp can actually cause problems where the egg casings are too strong and the clownfish larvae have a problem hatching. But uh, small amounts of, of uh, table shrimp is actually very healthy. So that's really the gist of the feeding part. You know, again, feed them, feed them often, feed them good. Now, um, the next part that we're going to get into is about actually getting your pair, going out and acquiring it. There's a lot of people that have a lot of questions about the best way to do this, what to get, how to get them, and you know, how much should they spend. Well, how much they spend, I'm really not going to be able to answer too much, but Let's go ahead and start out with a couple of different main ways that your people are going to go about acquiring their clownfish. The cheapest way to do this is to acquire two juveniles uh, and let them pair together in the tank over time. What's going to happen is they're going to go through the process. One will become female, one will become male, and they'll establish a pair. Now, while this is the, probably the cheapest method, it is also the most time-consuming because it can take months and months and months, if not years, for this to happen. If you do go about this process, make sure that you only get two juveniles. If you add three or four juveniles into the tank, uh, expecting to increase the chances of one of them becoming a female and one becoming a male, uh, you're actually not going to do that. You are decreasing the chances because you're going to have a lot more rivalry. There's going to be a lot more bickering, and there's going to be a lot more challenging, uh, a lot more uh, challenge for who's going to become dominant, and that can actually prevent the process from carrying on. So get to, stick with two. Now, one of the other steps that you can go is to get an established female uh, or, you know, a clownfish that you know is female. And then at that point, you can add a juvenile or a male uh, at a later date. Uh, depending on the type of clownfish, it's usually recommended uh, or required, especially with the maroon clowns, that the female be added first. Uh, because if not, you can have some real problems. So make sure that the female is added first and then the male is added after that. Uh, unless, of course, you're buying them in a pair. Now, this is usually, from a pricing standpoint, it's usually very similar than buy to buying two juveniles. Depending on the size of the female, uh, a local fish store might charge a little bit more, but it's usually pretty close. This process can also take a while, just like with two juveniles, but since you already have the female the chances you're going to move right through the dominance phase quite quickly uh, and you can get moving on with the rest of the process. So it's not as long as getting two juveniles and it might be the same or a little bit more from a cost standpoint. Now, the third most common way is to get them as a pair. Now, whether they are a quote-unquote spawning pair or just a pair or a, you know, however they local fish store or, or online retailer might sell them, um, really, it's gonna. Do, that's what's gonna determine the price. If they're just a plain pair, uh, standard percula clownfish, you could be spending anywhere from a hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars. Now, if they're being sold as a quote-unquote spawning pair, you could be paying upwards to over two hundred dollars for them. Now, here's my advice on this: just get a pair. Don't go out of your way and spend the extra money to get a spawning pair 
because the problem is is that once you disrupt their spawning cycle, um, aka moving them from one tank to another, the chances of them spawning right away are very low. So if you get a pair that's already established as a pair, uh, but not necessarily spawning, then you're going to save yourself some money. It might take a little bit longer, but we're now talking, you know, a couple months versus, uh, you know, three to six months, and you know, with some of the other methods, um, you know, so both are, you know, good options if you're if you're trying to get this going really quick. Uh, but look at it and and understand that just because you're buying a, a pair of clown clownfish that are already spawning does not mean that they're going to start spawning right away. Uh, because, you know, as I mentioned, disruptions can cause this problem. As I alluded to with anemones moving, um, anemones moving in your tank can cause them to stop spawning as well, even, you know, without them leaving your tank. So disruptions uh, can cause some problems. So anyways, the the already established pairs are going to cost you more uh, and so on and so forth. But uh, one of the important things to also consider is females only spawn for a certain period of time. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, it could be years from start to finish. Uh, but if you go and get a clownfish that's already a few years old and you pay a couple, you know, 100 or 150 or $200 for this pair, uh, you might be upset if you find out that the clownfish has only got six months or maybe even a, a year of spawn left in her, and then she's done. So not a big, huge critical deal, but something you just might want to keep in mind. If you have the opportunity to find out how old it is or if it looks like it's quite old, you might want to check into that. Uh, you know, again, you're going to be spending a lot of money on these uh, if you're specifically going for a pair and uh, just something to keep in mind. So moving on uh, into the last main topic that we're going to be talking about today, uh, and that is going to be on clownfish behavior. This is one of the most common set of questions that comes up when when helping people with clownfish uh because clownfish go through a lot of very strange or weird things as they go through their their bonding and, and mating rituals um and one of the first things that happens uh well let me, let me just say here it, we're, i'm going to start off this this uh list uh with the descriptions based on the fact that you have two juveniles uh and then we're going to move up from there if you get a female or a pair it's very likely that they've already went through some or all of this process. Now, this is a cyclical process, and um, it can repeat itself. So if you do get yourself a pair, you might find them going through some of these early stages all over again. Uh, chances are these stages will they'll be very short-lived, and they'll move through them rather quickly in a matter of days or weeks. But uh, it's very, very common that you, might note, that you would notice this as, as they go through. So uh, again, starting from the beginning, you have two juvenile fish. One of the first things that's going to happen is they're going to start, uh, they're going to, you know, swim around the tank. They're going to start associating with each other. And, and after a period of time, you're going to start noticing them going through some bickering and some fighting and some really what looks like they're, they're being pretty mean to each other. In some cases, they really are. Um, but what they're doing is they're going through a dominance phase. They're trying to establish which juvenile is the dominant one. Now, that dominant fish is going to be the one that's going to go through the process and become the female uh, and then the, the other one is going to go through and become the male. Now, at this point, you have yourself a, a pair of clownfish. You have an not an established pair, but you have an established female uh, and male. So this doesn't, you know, this is a good good point. It's one of the first thing that's going to happen in the pair. Now, going from this point, the next thing that they're going to do uh, is they're going to settle on a common, uh, quote-unquote, home, a place where they're going to stay. 
Uh, if you have an anemone, it might be an anemone. A lot of people use small clay pots and tanks like this, um, you know, an edge and a rock or something like that. Whatever they're going to do, they're going to usually bicker some more. There's a lot of fighting in this process, um, you know, so they're going to fight around. They're going to they're going to bicker around. What you'll usually see is the female clownfish um, pecking the male towards the area that she wants it to be. You know, the clown, the male will go off to a different area. The clownfish, the female's not going to like that. And uh, anyways, they're going to bicker around until they get their home. Now, at this point, what you really have is a is a pair, a true pair of clowns, or a bonded pair is what sometimes what they're referred to. Now, this is again, this is an established male, an established female that have bonded and chosen a home together. Um, you might say at this point they're married. Um, and of course the bickering only, uh, picks up from here. Uh, so one of the next phases that you go through is, uh, determining or finding a suitable spawning substrate. Now, essentially what's going to happen here is the male and the female are going to start, you know, discussing, I should say, um, different substrates. Now by discussing what's going to happen is, is the male is going to start picking them and, uh, basically asking if this is okay. And if the female agrees with it, the male gets left alone. If the female doesn't agree with it, you'll usually see the female picking at the at the male or attacking it or shooting up from at the side. There's you at this point we're usually out of the physical contact, but there's it gets pretty close. The female will will swim at it really quick and nudge it or or, or get close to look liking it look looking like it's gonna bite it, but they usually don't. Um, but there's a lot of this bickering that goes on until the the male finds a spot that the female wants, and then again. Uh, the female is usually going to leave the male alone and allow the male to do the work of establishing that. Now, as they go through this process, this is the first part where you're going to see some abnormal be, you know, well, actually the second, because a lot of people ask about that fighting in the beginning, and yes, that's normal. But this is the second main thing where you're going to see the clownfish doing some weird things. The clownfish is going to usually start off by mouthing uh, the surface, and by mouthing, uh, it's going to look like they're biting it, uh, but they're actually just, you know, they're picking off all of the, the stuff that's growing on it or sitting on it, any detritus that's there, any grown-up algae, uh, they're going to basically work to clear this off. Some of the common things you're going to see in this phase is, as I mentioned, the the mouthing or the biting of this of the substrate. Also, you'll see them kind of swim perpendicular to it and then quickly fan their tail across it. This is very similar, as I mentioned in episode one, on what they do at the ground or at the substrate and the sand at the bottom if they're if they're trying to establish there. Uh, but they'll fan it like they're trying to you know dig into it. Um, and then at that point, one of the final things that you'll see, or maybe not in this order, but one of the last things, and this is probably where most of the questions come from, is how they go through this twitching behavior. Now, again, they'll the usually almost almost always it's the male that puts itself in a uh, again a perpendicular position to the tile. Uh, and then starts twitching like it's being electrocuted uh, or having some kind of seizure. And again, this is totally normal. And what the clownfish is doing at this point is it's, again, working to clear off the spawning substrate. Now, you'll probably notice, especially if you're using ceramic tiles, that there's really not much left to clear off. Uh, but uh, it's something that they go through and something that they do anyways. Now, really, at this point, what you, what you have is um, a mated pair of clownfish. They're not specifically spawning, but... They are, they're pretty much ready to go. Now, from this point on, it could still be weeks or months uh, away from uh, your first or your, uh, you know, start spawning again, from, but from your first spawning event. 
Uh, so it's again, these are these are phases that you want to keep an eye out for. They're showing good progress. Um, but I just want to kind of re-emphasize to everybody that there's no one thing that's going to say they're going to start spawning. Um, I mean, you could reach this point where they spend months just cleaning the tile before they start spawning, or it could be a week and then they start spawning. So you really need to be prepared. Um, you know, at this point, uh, you know, the last part in this phase is really them moving to uh, a spawn to to a spawning pair where they actually start laying eggs. Um, this is something that's really cool to see if you've never seen it before. Some really uh, tricky swimming that happens when they're laying their their eggs on there uh, on the on the ceramic tile. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for for spawning behavior. Uh, and at this point, let's kind of move on to uh, some the tips on on clownfish and. One of the things that I'll throw in as a tip that I probably should have mentioned back at the beginning when we were talking about the spawning substrate, and that's about positioning the spawning substrate and how you're going to put it in there. Clownfish rarely like to spawn on horizontal surfaces. What they're going to look for is something that's in the tank at a decent angle. Uh, horizontal surfaces are notorious for collecting a lot of detritus and a lot of stuff that's going to just settle on them, and it's going to put up a lot of work for the clownfish to, uh, to keep them clean and aerated. So the best thing is usually to put it in there at some sort of sort of angle. I'll say a 45 degree angle, but you know more or less is is usually acceptable. Um, mine's usually about 45. I've had them lay eggs on on totally flat surfaces too, so they will do it. It's just not not as common. So uh, that being said, you know keep that in mind when you're positioning uh, the the uh, the tile in the tank. So let's move on to some of the tips that I was mentioning about inducing spawning. Now, a lot of times people will go have their clowns and they're going to go through the process and they're going to notice these behavioral changes that I just got done talking about. And as I alluded to, they can get to that last phase where they're cleaning off that tile and they're still not spawning. And it could literally be weeks or months going by that they're doing this and you're thinking any day now, any day now. So here are some tips to help get them, you know, a little push and get them going. The first tip is changing the photo period. Uh, shortening or lengthening the photo period by a few hours can help induce spawning. Uh, you don't want, you know, this is something that you can do suddenly uh, and just go ahead and, and give it a, a good change. If it doesn't work, go ahead and set it back to where you had it before. The next thing you can do is a slight sudden change in uh, uh, in specific gravity. You don't want to make a huge change, but uh, this usually goes along with the next tip, which is about which is doing large water changes. Uh, so if you combine these together, you know first you can start doing a large water change, keeping everything normal. That might do it. If that doesn't, um, you can, you know, increase or decrease the the specific gravity some, and just do that in a large water change. So the so the change while this the change may be a a point or two change, it's going to happen all at once. And this has been reported to help induce spawning. Now, the last tip that I'm going to give here, and this is probably the, the one that works the best, uh, and what this is is increased feeding. Uh, a lot of times it has to do with uh, the nutrition or the lack thereof that keeps them from, from breeding so or from spawning. So one of the best things to do is take the amount, you know, normally you'll feed your fish once or twice a day, if you're trying to get them to start spawning, double or triple that amount. Feed them two, three, four times a day. Every time you go by your tank, drop some food in there. Keep them fed. Keep it good food, uh, healthy food, and just feed the heck out of the tank. 
Now, obviously, this can cause some uh, nutrient issues in the tank, but uh, uh, this almost certainly will get it going. Within, within a month or two, they should start spawning. Uh, that's, at least that's one of the best known tip, tips that I've come across. So that should about do it for you. If you have any more questions about the items that we've talked about here in this show, um, you know, make sure you let me know. Head over to the website or email or send in the, the comments or the voicemail lines. All the details are on the website, so make sure you check them out there. And uh, we'll gather those up for the wrap-up shows at the end where uh, we would go through the listener Q&A. Uh, the, the next show um, is going to be on clown larval rearing, which is going to be preparing fu- fuels, <laughs> foods for the clownfish, different types of stuff that they're going to eat, setting up the tank, uh, so on and so forth, and caring for the, for the clownfish. So, um, or for the, for the babies, the eggs that hatch out of there. So uh, I'm not going to set any timelines for this, for this show. I know that uh, this show, for people that are listening to this on a, on a weekly basis, I know it's been a few weeks since this show has come out. Uh, And in all likelihood, it's probably going to be a few weeks before the next one comes out. Uh, Summer's here. uh, You know, been going at these shows strong for for two years now. So uh, I'm kind of taking some breaks between the shows and uh, putting some time between them. Um, But that's what the next one's going to be on. Uh, So keep an eye out for that. Stay subscribed to the podcast and you'll get it automatically. Um, but uh, again, that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Again, uh, make sure you send in your questions for the Q&A shows when we get to those. And uh, that's about it. Uh, thanks a lot. Have a good one.